We are opening up our Bibles once again to a, a very interesting portion of Scripture. I mean, it's really hard to put your finger down in any place in the book of Revelation that you don't find something that's very unusual that's happening. I'm thankful that we're in a very special time. We're living in the time of the church, and it's a very special dispensation of God's grace in this time. In the time of the church, we have multiple opportunities in which we can preach the gospel of Christ. Uh, There's hope for those who are without the Lord, and we can freely preach the gospel in just about any place that we want to go. At least that's the way it is in America right now. And we do thank the Lord that there are men and women that are serving in our armed forces even right now that are protecting that freedom that we have to actually preach the gospel of Christ. But there's coming a time when in no place of the world will it be easy to preach the gospel. Sometimes we think that there really aren't very many uh, willing ears to hear the gospel right now, but there's actually coming a time when it's going to be far worse because not only will the God of this world, Satan himself, blind people to the gospel of Christ, but God has also determined that he's going to withdraw the Holy Spirit from this world, the influence of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit prevents much of the wickedness that takes place in the world today. And so I think that that means that there is an imperative for us that we take the opportunity that we have to uh, preach the gospel of Christ and that we preach the truth without compromise, and then we trust God to convict the hearts of men with that truth. So with that little bit of an introduction, I want to turn our attention to the next, attention to the next verses of this chapter of, of uh, four, chapter 14 where we find a a very unusual scene, and probably one of the most unusual that we'll find in Revelation. If you can see, and if you'd like to stand with me and read God's Word, we're looking at Revelation 14, and we'll start reading at verse number 6. It says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, being able to bring your word tonight. And I just ask you, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and give us understanding of what you'd have us to know as we look at a very uh, different portion of Scripture, something very unusual. And may we learn something from your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Verse number 6 says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven. Now that's where I've taken the title for the message tonight. The title is Announcements from the Apex. 
When you see that little phrase there in verse number 6 that says the midst of heaven, the place where this angel flies, that describes the location of the announcements. Now, this is a point that's very high in the sky. It's really a term that describes the place where the sun reaches its zenith at noonday. So here is the place then that God has chosen for certain angelic announcements, which is a place that is really the most visible to all of the world. And this is where people, no matter where they live, all over the world, will be able to see these mighty angels and hear the proclamations that are about to follow. Now, I want to remind you once again, as we're looking at this, that chapter 14 is a parenthetical chapter. Sometimes Revelation is a little bit hard for us to follow because it's not like an historical narrative where one thing happens right after the next and the events here follow very smooth and easy progression. But rather, there are times in the book of Revelation where the story will back up just a little bit, uh, places where more explanation will be given. And sometimes the the book zooms out to an area where there's just an overview and there aren't any any real details. And this is one of those places that has less detail. And what we're going to talk about tonight are these angelic announcements as we're talking about them for a couple of weeks will actually be explained a little bit more in later chapters of the book. And so in this 14th chapter, we see that God does send angelic messengers to make announcements, and we're going to discuss just one of those angels tonight. Now, these uh, announcements are similar to what you would find in a Greek play at the time of the Apostle John. Uh, often a, a play would contain scenes of warfare or there would be scenes of battles, and you really couldn't show all of that on a stage, and so you would have an announcer come out. And this announcer would explain to you what's happened and uh, give you a set the scene for you, and then the play would continue. And that is what we have here. It's really an overview of what takes place under the seventh trumpet judgment. And so we'll see the details a little bit later. But I'd like for us to look tonight at this first angel that God sends and the very special announcement that he makes. So first we're going to look at the proclamation about belief. If you look in verse number 6, it says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Verse number 6 has always been just a very intriguing verse to me. Because we see something here that really does not mesh with anything that we've ever seen before in all the readings that we have of the Bible. Now certainly uh, this is something that we see here that's not to be expected until Christ comes because there's an angel that appears in the sky and he comes to preach the gospel of Christ. Now we don't expect to see angels in the sky. I mean, just that alone would be a truly significant event, but much, much less would we ever expect to see this, that an angel would come and he would actually preach the gospel. Now, the appearance of the angel uh, is probably less a wonder than actually the activity of this angel. And I think if there's any proof that the church is not in the world at this particular time, we're talking here in the, in the time of tribulation, and the church has already left because of the rapture, this would be one of those places. And that's because we know that angels are not preachers of the gospel. The, jo- the job description of an angel does not include gospel preaching. Evangelism is the job of the church. 
That's what God has established the church for. That's the mission that he's given us, that we are to go into the world and preach the gospel. It's been committed to us, and God has never said, if you don't take the commission that I've given to you, then what I'm going to do, I'll just fulfill it in another way. I'll send angels. I'll do something else. And the gospel we preached in that way. Oh, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus gave the commission specifically to his church. And you know it very well. He said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the world. Go ye is a command that's been given to the church. And there we see in the end of verse number 20 that it says that the gospel has been committed to the church and it's to last until we come to the end of the world. And that actually means till we come to end times or should be translated as the church age. And that's when Christ comes and he'll take this church out of the world. And until that time, there is no one who has ever been given the the responsibility of preaching the saving gospel of Christ. And so you won't find in the Word of God that there is a commission for parachurch organizations. You won't find a commission for the Gideons, and there's not one for the Salvation Army. And you won't find one for anyone's evangelistic association. There is no commission to preach the gospel that's been given to anyone but a local New Testament church. And anyone who takes the gospel out of that context, uh, context actually becomes a usurper of the authority of God. And so until the end times... Uh, no one can expect that there's going to be anyone but the, uh, the Lord's church that's going to preach the gospel. And that is exactly why that we send out missionaries under the authority of the local church. Uh, we're trying to give you that presentation about Brian Stensis, and he comes out of a local New Testament church. And so we never support any missionary that does not have that connection that he sent out of one of the Lord's churches because we, the Lord's churches, are the only ones that have the authority to preach the gospel. And so when we see here that something unusual happens, something very different from that, then we have to realize that this belongs to a different dispensation. We don't expect angels to preach. Now, we looked at, we've looked at angels before, and we see the things that are happening in the book of Revelation. You look throughout the Bible, and you see angels have been, been, been used previously to carry out God's judgment. Angels minister to the saints. They give special messages sometimes to God's people. Angels brought messages to people in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. One of the ones that we're most familiar with is when that angel appeared to Joseph and explained to him how that Mary was going to have a child. There was an angel that delivered Peter from prison. Angels ministered to Jesus during the time of the temptation. And here, throughout Revelation, we see the the warnings that are brought by angels. The, The angels come and they execute certain directives that God has given for the end times. But one thing that we have not seen is that angels preach the gospel. Now it's not the time for angels to preach the gospel because that's our job and not theirs. Men have been given the responsibility to preach, and and quite frankly, those are the only messengers that you can expect. I know that uh, there are people that that you've met and I've met that are very hardened in their belief, and we might think that what we really do need is to have some kind of a super revelation. If just uh, some kind of a miracle would take place, if we, if just God would send an angel maybe to speak directly to a person, then when that person hears the gospel, that they would believe. If there was something that was so extraordinary, so unexpected, that the gospel would surely have more power, that people would repent and believe if God would do that. 
We actually have a story in the book of Luke that teaches us otherwise. I'd like you to turn there, if you would, please, to Luke chapter 16. And this is the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Most of you know the story, and so we're not going to read it all. But let me just catch you up a little bit on what's happening in the story. Uh, There's a man by the name of Lazarus, and he is a beggar. And uh, he is a born-again child of God. And he lays at the gate of a rich man who feasted every day. And Lazarus just waited there at this rich man's gate, hoping that there were crumbs that would fall from his table. And then Lazarus would be able to rummage through those, and then he'd be able to find something to eat. Now, I want to stop with that for just a moment because I think that we see right there uh, so much for the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Now, Lazarus was not healthy. He was full of sores. The Word of God says that his comfort was to have dogs come and lick those sores. He wasn't wealthy because he was a beggar. He wasn't prosperous because he didn't have anything of his own. But he was a child of God. And he died right there at the rich man's gate in poor health and of a lack of a proper diet. And I think we can see the evidence of that because of the contrasts that are given in the story. Now, if you listen to preachers today like T.D. Jakes or Joel Osteen or Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Meyer and that bunch, they would probably blast Lazarus because he didn't have enough will. He didn't have enough determination. He's a poor beggar, and the cause of all of his troubles is that he hasn't asserted his right to name and claim God's blessings. And so Lazarus really should have been riding around in a golden chariot and flashing his diamond rings to everybody as he goes by, just like those prosperity preachers are able to do. Now, that shows you just how unbiblical and and just totally foolish that kind of teaching is. That is a false gospel. And really, we can say it's not a gospel at all. But here is Lazarus, and he lays at the gate of the rich man, and that's the place where he died. And when he died, there were angels that came. The ministering spirits of God came, and they carried Lazarus into heaven. Then the Bible says that the rich man also died. Uh, He wasn't a believer. And so when he died, he woke up in the fires of hell. And when he did, he realized that his hopeless or his condition was hopeless. And so he began to cry out for relief from that torment. And one of the terrible torments that he was experiencing was that he had five brothers. And they were likewise unbelievers. And he didn't want them to come to that awful place of torment. Now, let's look here at verse number 27. This is right after the rich man has been told, there is no relief for your suffering. There's not going to be any relief. So look what he asks for in verse 27. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, speaking to Abraham, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, that's in Lazarus. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now you see what's going on here? Here is a rich man who would not believe in the written word of God. He wouldn't hear a preacher if one was sent. And his brothers were exactly the same. And so he asked Abraham to do something very unusual. He said, would you just send somebody back from the dead? Would you send Lazarus? Or would you do something that's so extraordinary, something so unusual, that they simply can't miss it? Just send somebody back from the dead, and then they will believe. 
And Abraham said, well, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, or in other words, if they don't hear a preacher, neither will they believe, though one came back from the dead. And there is a very good indication that it's not the job of angels or of dead people or of supernatural beings to preach the gospel. At the present time, there is no one to give the gospel to people but us. And the Holy Spirit takes the preached word that that we put out there, and he takes that word and he brings people to repentance and faith. I know there's a lot of teaching that we can take out of Luke chapter 16. We're going to come back to that when we begin to talk about hell. But there's something that I want you to see very clearly here, and that is that it's not powers of persuasion that bring people to repentance and faith. It's not invitations that are given by clever preachers. It's not begging and pleading that goes on for 30 minutes after a sermon is preached. It's not asking people to bow their heads and raise their hands at the end of a sermon. It's not pulling people out of their seats and manipulation and playing upon the sentimentalities of men or trying to trick somebody to come down an aisle. And it's not a three-point prayer that somebody says in repetition or recited in order for someone to get saved. You see, if all of those things were actually necessary to repent and believe, then why wouldn't we just do this? Why wouldn't we just cut to the chase, let's uh, shorten up the stroke a little bit, and let's go right for the miracle? Why doesn't God give us something like somebody coming back from the dead? And why doesn't God give angels that appear in the sky? And why doesn't God just pull out the big guns and begin to convince people all these supernatural acts that they need to believe in Christ? And why wouldn't God do that to show people just so very clearly how foolish they are for not believing the gospel? And you don't want to know why God doesn't do that? He doesn't because it doesn't work. There's nothing that can wake up a dead sinner like without God's help. I mean, powers of persuasion don't do it. You can't take a spiritually dead person and and perform CPR on him and get him to trust Christ. Men's methods don't work. Good sense doesn't work. Miracles don't work. Pounding on pulpits doesn't work. Old camp meetings down the sawdust trail, they don't work. That's not going to bring people in. Uh... The, the, the mourner's bench and the, and, the, and the anxious seat and all of that doesn't bring them to Christ. The altar or suppose what people think this is, that doesn't bring them. The platform, the floor, the kneeling, the crying, the pleading, none of that works. You see, it takes the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone opens the eyes of a sinner and it can only take place when God regenerates that person and brings them to the place of repentance and faith. Those are the only things that work. And so if there are other things that actually work, then why, after looking here at the book of Revelation with the trumpets and the judgments and the fire and the earthquakes and the hail and the famine and all the pestilence that's taken place, why hasn't the whole world at this time turned to Christ? I mean, if you could shock people into believing, why, why are there any people here that would follow the Antichrist? I mean, really, what could possibly be more shocking than all the judgments that have already been poured out on the earth that we've seen thus far? And the simple truth of it is that you are not going to get anyone to believe who has not first had the Holy Spirit regenerate and then convict the heart of unbelief. And God does that through the preaching of the gospel. And so we preach it, and all the results are left up to the Holy Spirit. Now, that is our job right now. We just give the gospel, and the Holy Spirit does the work. And so you can forget about all the slick techniques for getting professions. You give the gospel, and you just let God do the work. 
You know, sometimes there are people that say to me, well, I really don't know how to do that. I mean, I, I don't know how to talk to people and get them to believe. And you never will. You'll never be able to talk to people and get them to believe. And I'll tell you this, if you know how to get saved, and you know or how you got saved yourself, then you know how to tell somebody about Jesus. I mean, you don't have to be a preacher, and you don't have to go through 14 soul-winning courses to tell somebody uh, what the gospel is. Now, you might want to take the courses because you, they could get you a little bit more comfortable with things. But if anybody thinks that all they need to do is just pick up a soul-winning book, and there are the surefire techniques to get the response that you want, you're just kidding yourself. Now, you can get people to say things. You can trick a lot of people into repeating some kind of a magical formula, but you don't have real conversions. You see, if the Holy Spirit has not been there to do his work, and that's always evidenced by a changed heart and by a person who follows Christ, if the Holy Spirit is not there to do that, you may get a profession, but you don't get a born-again believer. So I've said all of that simply to say this, that this is our time. I mean, this is not the angel's time to preach the gospel, and God is simply not going to overpower people with angelic messengers. He's not going to do it in this hour. Now, it may be that Jesus comes back tonight, and he come, or he comes back tomorrow, and he takes the church out of the world, and then this angelic messenger will show up, and he will preach the gospel. But for right now, it's our responsibility to do it, and no one else's. So we see then that chapter 14 belongs to a different time. There is no church. The church has been taken out of the world. It's raptured, and now times have changed. And so there is this angel that appears in the highest part of the sky, and he does preach the gospel of Christ. Now, before I go on and to give you those last two blanks that are on tonight's listening sheet, I want you to see something else here. People are very perplexed about the preaching of the gospel. There are some who are convinced that the world can't end until the gospel has been preached over all the world, until everyone on the earth has had the opportunity to hear the gospel. And so they say that, well, things are going to get better, and eventually the gospel is going to reach every corner of the globe, and they really do believe that the kingdom of God is going to come on earth in that way. And so they don't believe in this seven-year period of tribulation. They don't believe that the rapture occurs before that. They don't believe in a literal thousand-year reign of Christ upon the earth when Israel is going to be restored into millennial kingdom and that the, David, uh, the Davidic throne is going to be reestablished and Christ will rule from there. But rather they believe that the church is going to continue and then eventually we want to slide right into that eternal kingdom. Now, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 24 for a moment because this is one of the places that they draw this kind of teaching from, and it comes from Jesus' statement in Matthew 24, verse 14. So we'll look at Matthew 24 and get a look at this. Uh, Jesus has a lot to say in this chapter about the end times, and one of the things that Jesus talks about here is related to the preaching of the gospel at the end. So we look at Matthew 24, verse 14, and it says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, there are those who look at that statement and they say, Well, that means that the gospel has to go to every nation before the world ends. And so they think that the church is going to be here, and the church is going to continue to preach the gospel, and eventually the gospel wins out. And so most of them believe that the church and the kingdom are essentially the same. And so the kingdom just keeps growing and growing and growing until it covers the entire earth. 
And so therefore they believe that the dead will not rise, the living saints will not be translated until the very last act of everything that happens in the world before it's destroyed. But I want you to notice the next verses. Verse number 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth let him understand, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. Woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. And we've looked at these verses before, and we understand that the abomination of desolation is referring to the Antichrist. And when he comes, Jesus is telling Israel that they're going to be sorely oppressed. And so he says, you need to watch out when that time comes because there's going to be an awful time of tribulation. Now, really, that's what chapter 12 was about in Revelation. There's where we read about that Satan was cast down to the earth. And in Revelation chapter 12, it says, verse 13, And when the dragon saw, that Satan, saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. Now, the woman there is Israel. The man-child refers to uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, They're the ones who brought Jesus into the world, the nation of Israel. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. So yes, the Bible very definitely teaches there will be a time of tribulation and the church will be gone. So we have that problem with Matthew twenty four fourteen. How is that scripture going to be fulfilled? How is the gospel going to be preached to the entire world and all of the nations? Well, I believe that we find that answer in Revelation chapter 14, and that's the announcement from the apex. There is an angelic messenger that appears in the sky, and here an angel preaches the gospel. Now, the times are changed. The church is gone. A new dispensation comes, and so there's an angel then who's given the responsibility to preach. Now, we notice here who gets the message. Verse 6, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. And listen to every nation and kindred and tongue and people. So I believe there's where we find the fulfillment of Matthew 24, 14. Every nation, every kindred, every tongue, every people, all people that are upon the face of the earth will have the gospel preached to them by this angel. So it's not the church that's going to do this. Now, we do know that God has called out 144,000 witnesses out of Israel, and they fan out over the world, and they begin to preach the gospel, but they are not actually able to reach every single person in all parts of the globe. And so this angel appears, and he fulfills what Jesus says in Matthew 24, and there constantly, over and over and over, as the earth is rotating on its axis, that angel is in the midst of heaven where he can be seen by all, and he hears the, they, the people hear the message of the gospel of Christ. Now we go a little bit further and we see what this angel says. Verse number 7 says, Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. And worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. 
saying with a loud voice. You know, I can't imagine how loud that that voice will be. It's a thunderous voice and one heard above all the things that are going on, all the strife that's going on in the world. And so people will stop no matter where they are and they'll look at that angel and they'll begin to listen to him and he preaches the gospel. Now he says something different in his gospel or so we might think. His gospel has two main points. The first one is the gospel of fear and glory. He says, fear God and give glory to him. And you know, there are many people that are confused about the gospel. Just what is the gospel? In verse number 6, we see that it's an everlasting gospel. And sometimes you see it in Scripture as the gospel of grace. Paul refers to it that way in Acts 20, verse 24. Sometimes it's the gospel of Christ. Eleven times Paul uses that terminology in the New Testament. He says the gospel of Christ. Then you see it as the gospel of peace. Well, is there a difference in those? I mean, is the everlasting gospel, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of peace, is that, are those different gospels? Well, no, they're actually the same gospel. And I believe that when the Bible speaks of the gospel, it covers the whole spectrum that has everything to do with the redemption of Christ. And so when you look in the Old Testament, there's a gospel of Christ that's there. In the New Testament, there is a gospel of Christ. In the church age, there is a gospel. In the end times, there is a gospel. And it's all one and the same gospel. It just has various parts. It's always consistent in all the ages so that every person that's ever been saved and never will be saved is saved in exactly the same way. It's still faith in the blood of Christ. That's what saves. That's what saved people in the Old Testament. It saved them in the New. It saves people today. And it will be the way that people are saved uh, in these end times. And so the gospel is exactly as Paul described it. It's faith in Christ. And he explains in 1 Corinthians 15 that it's faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But the gospel of Christ also contains what we see here. Now, there are a lot of people who would like to rule out what this angel says as being a part of the true gospel. And so what they would like to do is they want to whisper sweet nothings in your ear, and they want to make God out to be some uh, guy that you throw your arm around. He's like an old drinking buddy, and God becomes your best chum, your best friend, and all of those things. Well, of course, we know that there's that aspect of friendship with God. But friends, we must be aware that God is someone to be feared. He's someone who deserves our respect. He deserves our worship. And that's what it means when it says to fear him and give God the glory. Now, there are many people that think that they can get saved and they just go on and do what they want to do. They ignore God. They do whatever they want. But the Scriptures teach that God must be worshipped and you never can worship God unless you do that in obedience. And so fearing God and giving him the glory means that your life has to be holy. It means that you have to be dedicated to God's purpose. God's purpose must be fulfilled in your life in order for you to worship him. And so your worship includes your reverence, your prayers, your witnessing, all of that. The Bible says that you are to do to the glory of God. So that's one aspect of this gospel that's proclaimed by the angel. The second aspect of it is that it's a gospel of judgment. He says, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is come. Now, surely that is also a part of the gospel that people don't want to preach. Whenever you see judgment in Scripture, whenever you see judgment like it's spoken of here by the angel, it's always equivalent to God's wrath. Now, there aren't many people any longer who want to preach about hell. 
Nobody wants to tell people that God is angry with the wicked every day. What we much prefer is to have the meek and gentle Jesus. And what we want is Jesus in a manger who is just a, a sweet little innocent baby that we can look at and just, just bow down and give reverence to him in that way. And so what we don't want to see is a Jesus who fastens a cord into a whip and drives people out of the temple. We don't want to see a Jesus that has eyes like a flame of fire that's described in Revelation and one whose feet is like brass burned in a furnace. We don't want a Jesus who says to people, depart from me because I never knew you. And we certainly don't want a Jesus who says, go to the fires of hell that is prepared for the devil and its angels. But one thing we have to realize is that is part of the gospel too. Men must not only hear about heaven, but they also have to hear about hell. There is this whole thing about repentance from our sins. And unless we repent and trust Christ, there is this eternal suffering in a place that the Bible calls hell. So that's really the gospel of Christ. And friends, that is actually an evangelistic gospel. We see the angel saying it here. It's an everlasting gospel. The angel preaches an everlasting gospel. And that word preach actually comes from the word that means to evangelize. And so you never really have a saving gospel when you eliminate judgment. And so the angel warns about that. He steps up on the stage with the overview and he tells people judgment is coming. And then the information that follows this is all about how that judgment will take place. Now, as I close the message this evening, there is one more piecing of, or piece of preaching that I think that we need to recognize. God, at this time of tribulation, pounds the earth with his wrath. Men have denied him. Most of them, as we know, have taken the mark of the beast. They're following this man who blasphemes the name of Almighty God. And if you look at it from God's perspective, you would have to say that God does not have to send this angel. I mean, there's really no reason why God should do that. There's no reason why God should give man any more warnings. God doesn't owe man anything. Now, some will say that God is unjust if, if he is not an equal opportunity savior. And so they think that the gospel has to be preached to everyone or else God is somehow treating people unfairly. But you know, if you look at what men have done, both, both today and throughout all the history of man, you look at the tribulation time that we're talking about here, and you see how wretched and vile that man is, how could anybody ever say that God wouldn't have the right just to speak the word and burn every person to a crisp? I mean, who could actually charge God with folly? We don't deserve anything from God. We certainly do not deserve that one more time that God would give us the gospel. You don't deserve another opportunity after you leave this house tonight. You didn't even deserve the opportunity that you have right now. But we see in this how kind and patient that God is. Men have killed prophet after prophet. The preaching of the cross is rejected. Christ was rejected. The people of God in the time we're talking about here are suffering terribly at the hands of the Antichrist and all of his followers. A terrible time of tribulation. And here we see that God sends an angel. Now, God does not have to do that. I mean, even in our sense of perverted justice, we would look at this and we would say that God is perfectly right in withholding the gospel. He could end it all right here and none of us could ever have a complaint. But God doesn't. God is long-suffering. And so he blankets the entire earth with the gospel one more time 
And he gives these people space to repent. Now we notice that God, again, sends this angel. And we've looked at this before, and we've seen the success that the Antichrist had against all the preachers that God sent. God sends in that time. I mean, those two witnesses that we talked about in chapter 11. Then we have the 144,000 that they go throughout all the earth that are severely persecuted. And the Antichrist has some success against them, and he's able to stop the gospel of Christ. So God does something different here. He sends an angel. And, of course, the Antichrist has no power against an angel. Not even Satan himself, who is one of the most powerful of all angels. He's been confined to the earth, and so he can't fly up there into the heavens. The Bible says he's on the earth. He can't do that any longer. God's taken that power away from him. And so he can't fly up there and throw a blanket over top of this angel and hide the gospel that he preaches. So God is long-suffering. That's the kind of God that we serve. He is a God who deserves all the glory. But as much as we see the truth in this and what God's going to do in those end times, what we need not expect that God is going to do right now is to send an angel. God is not going to send anyone with the gospel but a preacher, a man who preaches the gospel of Christ. So you don't need to wait for somebody else. I'm given that responsibility. You have the preachers of God's word all across this country. They have been given the responsibility to preach the gospel, and I'm giving it to you now. The Lord's churches have the responsibility. And if you don't believe it now, then quite frankly, neither would you believe it, though one rose from the dead or if an angel should appear in the sky. Now, the Scripture says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation I have succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, let me end with one other word from the Apostle Paul. He says in Galatians 1, verse 8, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Now that tells us that there's not going to be a different gospel than the one that I'm giving you right now. Not an angel from heaven. An angel's not going to come with a different message. He's not going to tell you anything differently than exactly what I'm telling you right now. The gospel is going to be the same whether I preach it or whether an angel preaches it. And so you needn't think that because an angel comes, he's going to have a better gospel or something more believable than what I'm telling people right now. The thing for all of us to do is to trust Christ now because God is long-suffering. Scripture teaches that one of these days, the day of grace is going to be over. The gospel of grace is no longer going to be preached. But here we have a proclamation about belief. And what the Word of God is teaching us, that you need to believe that now because you may not have the opportunity to do it later. You needn't expect that God's going to send the gospel any different than the one I preached to you tonight. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to give you all praise and honor that's due to you. We see what a long-suffering God that you are and how we are so undeserving. We, We don't even deserve to be able to stand here tonight and to give the gospel of Christ. It's only because of your wonderful mercy and grace that we're able to tell people about Jesus. As the Word of God says, now is the time for people to believe. And we do strongly believe that if people hear the gospel right now, they're not going to change their minds in the end times and believe it then. 
So, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here tonight who doesn't know you as Savior, that they would realize that lost condition and realize also that the day of grace may soon be over and they won't have an opportunity to believe. So speak to our hearts tonight. Draw Christians close to you. And may you speak to someone's heart about the saving gospel of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.